On this episode of It's a Funny Life podcast, I will be joined by Boss Night organiser Danny Nicholson. Okay. Yeah, all good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, all good, mate. I'm not sure. I couldn't. I think it was, I think it was my bad. It was my mic. So, thanks for joining. Yeah, of course. No problem. Yeah, so you're going to start straight into it. So, um, well. Okay, just before we get started, Joe, I was just going to say I've got a call at 3 pm. That I need to join, okay. so I'm I'm just going to keep an eye on the time. If you want to do that yourself as well, yeah, okay, that's just, fine. Just a bit, I'd, I'd hate to get to like two fifty nine and then be like, see, at least I need to go. So, um, so yeah, no, that's fine. If you need to go with three, just definitely just leave. Yeah, that's right, cool. Okay, cool. Thanks for joining. Um, very much appreciate it. So, start off with my first question. So, how was your childhood? So, like, where did you grow up, and what was it like? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Halewood, um, and yeah, thoroughly enjoyed my my childhood. Obviously, um, you know, a good 15, 20 minutes outside of town, just on the outskirts of, of the city as such. But yeah, I, I had a great upbringing with, you know, really, really nice family and all that, and, you know, and enjoyed school. So yeah, I guess I'm one of the lucky ones, really. Yeah, what, school, what schools did you actually go to as a kid? Yeah, so I went to Highwood CV, um, for primary school, and then um, I went to Blue Coat in, in Wavertree, um, which was a bit of a leap to be honest. You know, at sort of 10, 11 years of age, I was the only one from my from my school to go there. Um, oh. Didn't know anyone really going in going into school, going into year seven, um, and all of a sudden was sort of you know throughout of the nice surrounds of Hailwood Village, you know, walking to school and and found myself, you know, whatever it is, like six miles away and having to get the bus home, all that kind of thing. Yeah, so like what um what sports did you do in school? Do you play sports? Yeah, so like in, in our school it was a pretty it was like a very um academic school as as people might know it in the city, but it was also really, really good um for sports. Um, at the time it's changed now, but at the time it was an all boys school, um, that was um entrance by interview. <clears throat> so you got interviewed, and if you were dead, dead clever, um, you got in. But if you had a bit of nouse about you, <clears throat> and then said, you know, you played schoolboy football or <clears throat> you played basketball or cricket, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you, you get in as a result of that. For decades and decades, um, Blue Coat had really, really strong sports teams. Um, and obviously that came out in PA, it came out on the football, um, on the playground playing football, that kind of thing. So in school, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't quite good enough to play for um, either the A or B team. Um, both of them were really strong as far as football was concerned. Um, I did swim. I, I did I, I did swim for the school and um I played basketball for the school. I wouldn't pretend I was in in that starting five every week. We had him, you know, certainly lads who were much stronger and much bigger than me at the time. But yeah, I was in, I was in the basketball team as well. Yeah, so you, you enjoyed your footy, yeah. Yeah, you know, as I say, you know, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm the best player in the world. Far, far, far from it. Um, I think if anything, actually, um, I've always enjoyed sort of going to the match more than than playing. Sort yeah. of being, you know. Nine, ten, eleven years of age, and I did play, um, you know, for like little Sunday league teams and stuff with with, with mates, and you know, growing up at those football training and that kind of thing, and um, having a kick around on the field, um, and you know, all the usual stuff, you know, 
play times and whatnot. But I think um, I, I think as far as playing at any good standard, um, I, I wasn't quite there. My brother was. I I, I wasn't. Um, and from sort of 12, 13 years of age, I, I got my season ticket and started going to Anfield um, every other week. And then that quickly turned into you know, going to the aways. I, I think I was far more interested in, as I say, going to the match and the whole football culture around going the match than um, pulling on a pair of boots on a Sunday morning. Yeah, definitely. So, like, obviously, you're a red. So, um, well, did, did you used to go to Anfield and like, the away games quite like often? Yeah, so I don't know. That's pretty lucky. My dad, um, I'd, I'd always sort of gone the game from from a very young age, and my dad had done the whole, you know, seventies and eighties um, around um, around England and around Europe, I guess. And I guess that sort of gave me the bug. So, sort of us growing up, and um, we we would go to Anfield, you know, from being very, very, very young kids, you know. Um, I think my first game, my dad mentioned it actually um, a few months ago, I think it was when I was like three, four years of age um, at Anfield and you know, I've got very fond memories of being sort of five, six, seven years of age and getting to go a few times a season. But um, I guess you get a tiny bit older, you, you do your sort of first away game, you, you start to get tickets a bit more often. You know, I, I can fondly remember the, the last day of the COP, um, 30th of April, 1994. Um, when we played Norwich um, at Anfield, um, the last time any of us got to stand on the old cop, um, got beat that day, of course. But as a ten-year-old, you know, it still stands out now. I'm thirty-six, and it still stands out now uh, as one of the best days of my life, and I guess even maybe one of the most defining days of of my life. Um, and from from then on. Um, yeah, just started to go to the game even more frequently. Um, I can't remember the exact year I got my hands on on a season ticket, but that was after a couple of years. You know, we pretty much going to every game through, um, through the old way of getting tickets and stuff, and then probably got a season ticket thirteen years of age or so, and and about been fortunate enough to have it ever since. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, what's your what's your favourite memory as a Liverpool fan on top of your head? Um, you know, you you'd be silly not to say Istanbul if you were there. You know, um, I I was twenty twenty one at the time, and you you're being brought up on the stories of those past European glories, um, and the adventures um overseas and stuff. And I remember that season. Um, I don't think I did quite every European away. I think I might have missed one, or I think I missed a couple. Um. But, 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 you know, the, the, the crescendo there was, um, of course, Istanbul. And, and I think, you know, for a lot of lads of my age, you've been starved of that success, you know, through the 90s. Um, it, it was a real coming of age. You know, we, we'd had that early success in, in 2001, the travel season and stuff. Um, but winning that European Cup, you know, that, that was the absolute pinnacle. And in my eyes, you know, I think it, 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 it still is. You know, if you put a gun to me head and said, do you want to win the league or the European Cup? I think I might be pushed to say to, to say the European Cup, you know, for everything that it means to to, to our club and to be that number one team in in, um, in Europe. Yeah, that obviously a lot of people would would obviously put the league over anything, but never probably that mad. But obviously, people enjoy the away European night, so it's it's a good decision. So, um. When did you when did you start getting into your music? Like when did you really first start liking it? Um, 
again, probably those sort of like, you know, early teenage years. And I, was, I sort of always remember sort of growing up, like music being um, being a thing. You know, it was certainly something in, in our house. You know, we'd have music on and, and you know, it was CDs back then. So, you know, my mum and dad had um, a, a, a CD collection. I wouldn't say now, you know, if you're a massive, massive music heads and buying stuff every week, it wasn't quite like that. But music was 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 always there and thereabouts, so it wasn't like an alien thing. So I, I guess, you know, sort of get to that mid-90s when I'm sort of 10 and 11, um, music was beginning to get very exciting in this country. You know, Britpop was here. Um, you'd have local bands getting a lot of attention, um, cast space for Lightning Seeds. Um, Lightning Seeds was my first album, actually, which would have been um, 1994, maybe 95, so I would have been 9 or 10. Um, I remember getting jollification with a WH Smith voucher, which um, you, you might be a bit too young to sort of remember, but, but, but back then you'd get these sort of, you know, five, ten pound vouchers for WH Smith for your birthday or um, or, 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 or Christmas. And I remember getting jollification through the Lightning Seeds album. That was my first um, album. And of course, you know, it was a very exciting time um, you know, away from the city. You had the Oasis Blair thing going on. So as a 10, 11, 12 year old, um, you know, there was lots happening. There was lots to sort of get stuck into and it sort of it had its own culture around it. And I think that sort of transcended into the the, the playground. I remember um, you know, going down to Woolworths, you know, something else that you might, you might be a bit too young to remember, but Woolworths and Allerton Road um, after school, you know, to buy, um, I remember getting like the Oasis, you know what I mean? Single, there was like a big thing around that single coming out, so I remember getting other, um, other singles. So, yeah, it was it was definitely that sort of year seven, year eight, year nine period, I guess. And then um, as, as we got a tiny bit older and sort of got into year 11, um music became more of a thing, I guess, amongst uh, amongst your peers and amongst your fellow students. Um, and you start swapping CDs, you start getting the copied CDs, that kind of thing. And then, of course, you take the big plunge into actually going to gigs with your mates, which, um, you know, it's a very exciting thing. And and for me, you know, music and football has always been like, they've always been hand in hand, really. Um, but they've always been like the two sorts of constants, I guess, and sorts of, my interests and and what I deem as my culture. Yeah, definitely. So, like, um, when when did you first start? Obviously, with music. When did you first start thinking about maybe starting up your own events? Um. Well, I mean that that sort of came very organically way before that. Um. I I started a fanzine called Boss. Um. So so this would have been um. 2007 um me and me and mates have been going going around the country going around europe for a few years following the reds and stuff and and i just felt there was um like a real culture going on there was um like a a, a bit of a scene almost you know it's the same lads going week in week out um, it was very connected certainly of my mates around music i've often said like you know the perfect day for me perfectly for me now but 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 definitely back then <clears throat> would be you know going to the pub for a few pints before a match going to the game and then shooting off into town um, and going to a gig um, and they sort of went hand in hand and around that um, 
was a lot of things going on. There was like interesting stories, there was interesting people. <clears throat> there was stuff around the clothes, there was stuff around just the general going out and what places you went to where you didn't go, observations, that kind of thing. And I just felt back in 2007, I, you know, whatever I was then, 20, 21 years of age. Or, yeah, yeah, 21 years of age, 2021. Um, 20, yeah, yeah, 21. Um, that um, they're probably, there, there wasn't like anyone recording it. There was no one sort of archiving this for the future. Um, internet forums were quite big back then. They, they, they sort of predated social media. And, and you'd often get like a young lad from the match writing a story of what happened um, to the previous weekend at an away game or something. And of course, the problem with the internet is everyone's got an equal platform to reply with their response. And that sounds like a dictatorship or something that horrible about it, or trying to you know, censor opinion. It's not that. It's just that you can have someone with like a really funny anecdote that to us in our culture is very acceptable. And then you get a guy 5,000 miles away replying underneath, you know, this isn't the Liverpool way or you're an absolute disgrace. Um, and there was one moment, I think, which sort of acted the catalyst for me. Um, a, a few mates um, had, um, or so some lads from the match, um, I'd bumped into the Chelsea team bus before falling away. This was just before the Athens final in 2007. We'd just knocked Chelsea out. Um, in, in in the semi-final and on the way to form away I didn't go to this game but on the way some lads that I know um, I'd ended up going past Stamford Bridge and of course Stamford Bridge isn't that far away from Thorns ground and the Chelsea team bus was parked outside with the players on and, and these lads you know, sent an opportunity ran up to it and to their absolute astonishment it wasn't just the team bus the, the whole squad was there so they've sort of ran on and jumped on the bus and unfurled like some sort of, you know, Athens banner to which like John Terry's got off in front of them and there's been like a bit of a kerfuffle and stuff. And I always remember um, when we mates writing up what happened on, on an internet forum. And whereas we all think it's dead funny and that's like, you know, a, a timeless story for the ages, a lot of the people are like, well, that's not very good and you should have shown them more respect that kind of thing. I remember thinking, you know, it's fine for these people to have these opinions, but they're so far removed from the match day culture. <clears throat> it can't just be recorded um, on these forums, you know, what's going on. Um, even if something doesn't stoke up like a hot debate or anything, it can fall off onto page five within a few hours. And I just felt that it was really important that <clears throat> there was something physical, something away from the internet, where stories like that could be recorded. The actual culture of what's going on at the time could be written down on a physical piece of paper that in 20, 30, 40 years time, you know, my kids can pick up and understand what it's like. Or they're even saying now, you know, 15 years on or whatever it is, young lads like yourself can pick up and go, oh yeah, you know, that's what happened back then. So, um, <clears throat> so, so, so after that, that sort of spurred me on to the next season to release um, a fanzine called Boss. And, and, and Boss was um, as traditional fanzine as you can get it was black and white it was stapled together it was full of spelling errors it didn't pretend to be you know glossy or special anything like that and um, all the articles in it were, were anonymous so it was never about like trying to create a name for for me or anyone else involved it was just you know a a, a record of what was going on so that came out in 2007 and um you know it, it, it blew us away how popular it was 
Yeah. Uh, we sold it. We, we sold it for a pound. You know, which showed like there was no monetary interest in it. But for, and our yeah, you know, we didn't see it as a business or anything. It was literally, you know, it was a pound, and we didn't even sell it. We just put it in the HJC shop on Moulton Brack Road. Um, and then on away games, we'd sort of like bring, you know, a couple of hundred in a bag with us. And as people said, on the coach or when you stop off, hey, you've got a copy there, you just you just dish it out to them. Um, so the sort of fan team came out, and, and I'd say it was like really, it, it was popular. You know, we 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 tend to sell out um, of it. Um, I think you know it, it it achieved you know what 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 I really wanted it to be at the start. In the um, it it recorded you know what was happening at the time, both at the match, but also um in in the city. Um, your your question that started that um that monologue then was um how did the events come about? Well, the events came about very organically, maybe five years after that. Um, so we've we've been running the mag for like five years, and and by the way, the mag was like a really you know, um, sort of I don't say shambolic, but you know there was no structure to it. It wasn't like we released one every every month. We just released it whenever it was full, and you know, I put it together and um, get, get, get it printed, and then just announced like the day before, um, you know, new issue out tomorrow type thing. Um, but after doing it for a few years, um, we, we thought wouldn't it be a nice first home game of the season to sort of do like a launch party for the new issue. So new issue coming out, and because the mag was as much focused on music as it was football, um, we'd, we we put on um, a couple of bands. Um, a lot of our mates were in bands, you know, going going out all the time and and being sort of, uh, you know, I guess, like half on the music scene and stuff. You get to know people and. And we thought it'd be good to sort of promote some of these bands that we're into as well. And that was like the first official, you know, boss b- 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 boss event. And we put it on after, um, I think we played Middlesbrough, first home game of the season. I want to take a guess at what year it was now. I'm guessing it was like 2011, 2012. Um, but that was like the first official boss event. Yeah. Obviously, if that, that's first event, first year. And I was also to be a part. So, uh, what hurdles did you stumble upon at the start, and um, how did you overcome them in the end? Oh, good question. Um, I, I mean, like, you know, what, what, what happened with Boss Mag and then in like Boss Night and the events and, and, and such? Like, it really, really was organic. Like, it, it was just dead, dead natural. Like, if, if no one turned up to that first event that we did, we wouldn't have done another one. You know, we didn't think about it too much. We didn't like have a big business plan. We didn't put all our eggs in one basket and say, this is what we're doing now. It was just like the natural thing to do. Even the mag, you know, was very natural. You know, it didn't feel like we were forcing anything. So I think first and foremost, the hurdles were lower, if, if not, not there at all, because what we were doing didn't have any pressure. And I feel like the most important thing for us was, it was authentic, you know. We were like genuine matchgoers, um, sort of, you know, going to most home and away games and stuff. So what we were telling, like, like, what, what wasn't forced or, um, or we didn't have to like, try really hard. So I think like the hurdles were much lower, and we didn't have that pressure. Um, if there was any hurdle, I think it would just be trying to encourage my mates to to write stuff, you know, and, and sort of um actually contribute to the mag 
Um, so, so in terms of those hurdles, um, there wasn't many, if any, because it was so organic and so sort of, you know, I don't know, it sounds a bit corny, but like, you know, from the heart or, you know, from the grassroots, so to speak. Um, I, I guess the hurdles came a tiny bit later as, as particularly, you know, the boss night stuff got bigger and more official and then all of a sudden you're dealing with suits at the you know like an arena type of venue you know giving you contracts to sign with tens of thousands of pounds you know if you don't sell this and all tickets and stuff and 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 that's when it became a bit more harder a bit more official um and a few more barriers earlier on and it, it was relatively straightforward yeah, so um, obviously you've done the boss event. So when did boss nights really kick off and start to begin? Yeah, so so we did those um, first few concerts, um, you know, as I say, sort of like around whatever it was, 2011, 2012. And then you know, we, we actually started doing stuff away from the match. You know, there were certain gigs and stuff and different nights that we tried out that were under a banner of boss but didn't happen um, on a match day. But it was quite clear that, you know, where our real passion lied and, you know, in sort of like bringing lads, like, lads and girls like us together, what was around the after the match stuff. So it was probably around like 2013, 2014. It was a season that we were in the UEFA Cup. Um, and we, we, we sort of realised that um, we're going to have a load of Sunday games. You know, really Hodgson was the manager, I think, at the time. And, you know, it wasn't that great um, on on the pitch as such. And we realised that, you know, these games on a Sunday playing, I don't know, Burnley at 1pm on a Sunday, it's not that enticing. So we thought, how about a few times a year, we do something called the Boss Sessions in town after the match. Uh, and we had this vision that we just bring a load of our mates together. It'll be free entry. You know, no one's making like, money out of it. It's not like a financially driven thing. Um, we'd simply just put it out there to lads, lads and girls like us, you know, after the match, a few musicians, cheap pints, and, and just you know, have a good time of like-minded people. Um, so, so we started approaching different venues in town, and pretty much everyone said no. It was unbelievable that like we're going around to um, these different places and saying, you know, we know you're dead on a Sunday afternoon, and we reckon. Um, we can bring you know 200 lads who are going to be spending loads of money here and we don't want any payments as such for it um, we just want to do this good thing and put you know let our mates who play music in the corner and um, put them in the corner let them play music um, and, and most places said no but then we found one place that said yes which was Oscars um, which is just off Renshaw Street and we had a few good events there um, things got a bit out of hand it grew a bit too big for there um, and then we moved on to Sound on on Duke Street, which I think yeah, a, a lot of people who've been coming to our events for years will will potentially say like that was like the pinnacle. We had some great nights in there. It, it, it's a relatively small venue, but God, it, it, people were crammed in there, and, and that's where Jamie sort of came of age and and rose through the ranks. So, you know, this we got told about this young lad who, who gets on the Cambrajo coach called Jamie Webster who can play guitar, but. He sort of like keeps his head down a bit and doesn't, you know, maybe announce it to everyone that he plays and stuff. And um, so we were like, yeah, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll give him a go because that's the whole ethos of Boss, you know, like Boss was a platform. So, yeah. so Jamie started playing events after events after events and it was quite clear that God, this lad's actually got 
um, a, you know, fair bit of talent here. And, and you know, we, we sort of built, you know, four or five artists. And Jamie very quickly rose up through it. As it turned out, the loads of lads from the match just wanted to hear more of them. It's very important here to stress that, like, this wasn't an out-and-out out LFC thing at the time. Um, you know, the, the, those first sets that Jamie was playing, he wasn't sing. He wasn't doing football tunes. He wasn't playing every other Saturday or Paul Scholes or Tommy or anything. That came very, very later on. He was playing Oasis or the Jam or the Kinks, you know, or I don't know, even like the Cortinas or the Smiths or whoever. Um, cast was, and they were just covers that were getting played. But of course, you know, we're all copyrights, aren't we? And you know, it's our natural instinct that you know, someone starts playing. Simon and Garth, Uncle, um, Mrs. Robinson, and, and people start going, oh, you know, here's to you, Jordan Henderson. And that's where the football stuff came in, because all of a sudden, the, the the cover songs that were getting played it's, were morphing into player chants. Um, and, you know, when you've had six pints of lager and you've got all your mates, you know, it's quite exciting and quite fun, isn't it, to start singing football songs. So, so, so that's where, like, the whole um, football thing sort of came from. Uh, and again, you know, it was very, very organic and very, uh, and very natural. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think, like, you know, if all this didn't happen, as someone randomly said, in a few weeks after, you know, after the home game at Anfield, we're going to charge you, you know, 50 quid a ticket and you can hear someone play football songs um, at the Olympia or at the O2 Academy or whatever. I think most people be like, no, we're not doing that. I think it's very important that you know, things happen organically and naturally and, uh, and come from like a genuine standpoint. And that's honestly what happened with with, with, with Jamie. A bit like the previous venue Oscars, um, we quickly grew out of sound on, on Duke Street. Um, we infamously um, got Duke Street shut down after one game. It was like, you know, hundreds and seven hundred outside, and the police created all these cordons and stuff, and panicked. And um, you know, it was, it was quite funny looking back. Maybe not for the um, for the bar owners at the time, but um, but 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 we realised then that actually, you know, we probably outgrew every venue in 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 town. Things were getting a bit mad, and that's when we moved to district in the Baltic area of town. District is headed up by um, Eric and Jane. Um, absolutely lovely couple who really understand um, young people and the culture of the city. Um, Jane Casey is is sort of you, know, you could even describe her as almost like the mother of culture in, in our city. She's been involved in the Eric scene, punk rock scene, um, onto cream, capital culture. She's done everything. And when we approached her, she just got it straight away. She was like, "This is incredible. This is amazing. Just you know, bring everyone down." So we, we, we moved to District, which was this warehouse, you know, with, you know, high ceiling and four walls. And again, it was free entry. It was just turn up after the match. And, and I guess that's when things, you know, really escalated and turned into those sort of like big warehouse parties. And at this stage, you know, it, it was still all the lads from the match. You know, it, it, you know, it wasn't like a big international thing or, or, you know, people probably didn't know about it from um, out of town at this stage, you know. The, the idea of back then uploading videos to social media, um, it sounds like a bit, um, bit old-fashioned or something here to say, but, you know, the technology didn't really exist. You know, people were carrying around much older phones. Yeah, they might be able to record video, but I don't think anyone was uploading it to Twitter or Facebook at the time. 
So it, it was really contained to like just lads from from the match, and we had to play at district um, for a few years. And it's important to stress, you know, these events were um, very sporadic, a bit like the magazine itself. Um, we only did a handful a, a year, and we tend to announce them only a few days before. Um, and I guess that added to the excitement a tiny bit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, like, obviously, the Liverpool fan and music, and you blended them two into one event, really. Um, did you want it to just specifically be Liverpool FC, or did you want to mix it between both teams and maybe bring it as like a Merseyside culture? Um, you know, an interesting question because back in 2007, my, my idea for Boss was that it was going to be a Merseyside thing. We were approaching capital of culture. Um, in 2008, which was an excellent thing for the city. It was really, really good and executed really well. But I think in 2007, a lot of people were starting to question, like, are we going to be included in this? You know, is is what we're up to in our voice? You know, is, is it going to be recorded? Are we a part of this? Um, and my initial idea for for Boss was it was going to be a magazine for for the city. Um, you know, I, I am Liverpool, I see through and through, you know, can't stand Everton, if the truth be known. But, you know, I did have Everton mates um, and new Evertonians and stuff, and, and they had interesting stories. They were doing stuff. Um, I remember at the time, um, around the time I was sort of bringing all this together, um, an old mate from school um, went to um, the Ukraine to, when they played um, a team called um, Mentalita Kharkiv or something. And I had this amazing journey to you know, traveling, flying into Kiev and then getting like an overnight train across this barren wasteland in the, in the Ukraine to get to this small town or small city. Um, and, and, you know, so, so they had stuff going on as well. And for me, you know, the initial idea yeah, it was going to be it was going to be like a Merseyside thing. Um, and, I, and I floated it to a few Everton mates. We're on the way back from a concert in Manchester. And I'm sitting in the back of the car there, there in the front and I sort of went over and said, I've got this little idea, you know, would you like to be a part of it? And, you know, and you'd be the Everton side and um, they weren't interested. Um, I, I, I think, um, you know, they probably seen it as a bit of, um, you know, a bit of a cop type thing. Um, yeah. Even though, like, they've got an amazing fanzine culture at Everton. Um, you know, when Scars of Grey is a hugely successful and long-running um, fanzine that they're all into and you know, over the years I've picked up copies myself and you know, I've had a good insight in, in, into sort of like their culture and stuff but I think that you know, they just didn't want to be um, a, a part of it which you know, thank God because who knows how it would have turned out you, know, you certainly wouldn't have got you know, the whole Boss Night stuff wouldn't have came out of it because you, know, you, you couldn't have done it so, um, so yeah, thank God that, 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 that they knocked it back. And I, I guess once that happened, you know, I was fully focused that, yeah, this is an LFC thing. This is just about us. Yeah, so say from the first Boss Nights event that actually happened, how did you build from the first one and make it even better? Um, again, you know, I think it was just like that sort of organic thing and it, everything just seemed to happen naturally, as I say, you know, from sort of moving from the smaller venues out, out to district um, in, in the Baltic area um, through to like sort of Jamie's sort of movement through or journey through through the ranks so to speak through then to um, you know bringing football into it because as I say you know, at the very very beginning the lads who were getting up weren't doing football songs they were just doing covers 
Um, so it, it was it was you no, know, it was like a very very organic journey, so to speak. Um, that that then continued, you know, even from sort of district, you know, which we were there for a few years, but then, you know, things did get a bit out of hand with like you know massive crowds, you know, hundreds queuing up outside and um flares getting set off inside and stuff and then it was really sort of um that that, that run to kiev that that, that that sort of really made things explode um we were we were playing man united away and we got beat this day it was nearly kick off on a saturday um away 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 i just came onto the terraces um so i think the the, the, the story is fairly well documented um that um, Phil and Liam, two young lads from the match, um, I'd sort of penned the the, the, the lyrics to this, um, to, 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 to this song, um, and then sort of <clears throat> um, started singing it at Porto away, and then Jamie's heard it, and then he's turned it into like a bit of a tune on the guitar, that, 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 that kind of thing. So that day we got beat at Old Trafford, but we, we had a boss session, as we still called it back then. Yeah. Um, at district afterwards, um, and it really like built up that night to Jamie playing Ally Ally Ally, and when he played it, you know, you had how many it was, you know, three hundred people crammed in. There was flares going off. There was like these contorted faces, and you know, euphoria and smoke everywhere, and we we we, we captured it on 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 video, and like you know, we uploaded it to to Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Um, because you know, the technology had sort of closed up back then, you could you could do that, and then the next day we're like, "Hold on, it's got like a million impressions already," and it was like that moment that like things just I guess exploded for for Jamie as as an individual, you know what he was doing, and then you know for sort of like that boss umbrella, people like, "Oh my god, you know what 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 is this thing?" There's a wider LFC fan base, but then also other fans. Yeah. So we're in with Jamie Webster, obviously bringing him into Bass Night. As he, as you mentioned, I've seen him say a couple of things like he used to just go to the match and play the guitar. It must be mad to see where he is now. Oh, absolutely, you know, I absolutely made up for him, and you know, I, there was no one happier in the world for him than than, than myself. You know, having watched that journey and and watched the effort and determination he he's put in. You know, sometimes seeing the you know difficult moments and the setbacks that any artist, any creative person has, though he's worked so hard at it, um, and you know he deserves absolute success. Um, I, I think in the back of his head, he always had his own tunes. He always had um that that that, that desire that that whilst you know playing in front of all your mates, playing football songs is a good thing. I think he really got his his most enjoyment from. Um, playing Weekend in Paradise for the first time, that 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 kind of thing. But yeah, it's just gone off for him, and and, and where I feel so sorry for him is is, is a pandemic. Um, yeah. So he, he was really really on the verge there of big stuff. I feel that I feel there's a tipping point that would have came, um, in in the summer of 2020, with the album coming out, um, with all the attention he would have got with us winning the league. But then, sort of festival season and stuff, um, and you know he's got a good team of people behind him at his at his record label. Um, they would have really made the, the most of it, and then COVID happens, and it just seems like 
um, yes, you know, he's enjoyed massive success with the album and got him number one in the folk charts. And, you know, we, we all we all love that he, he's no doubt gained tens and tens of thousands of more fans during this period. But I, I do feel sorry that, like, it was almost like an elastic band ready to go off. And I'm confident that it still will come as things get back to normal. And Jamie's second album comes out in October and, uh, and he, he, he hits the road tour and stuff. I think all that will come. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, it's just mad, and obviously, as you've seen, he was so. We would have seen he was on such a high, and then COVID happened. It's, it's gone back around to basically rock bottom, but then he's building himself back up with with the new album, which is hopefully coming out soon. Which is it's really good to see. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, like I wouldn't speak too down as such because you know, and obviously can't speak for them. But you know, the the last year would have been incredible for them anyway. We've you know seen everyone enjoy enjoy the album. Um, but you know, knowing Jamie, he, he's he's at, he's at his absolute most happiness and, and at his peak when he's standing on stage. And and I, and I just feel sorry for him that COVID robbed him of that opportunity in in twenty twenty and most of twenty twenty one. But I'm I'm no doubt I've got no doubt that there's a whole load of energy built up there ready to be unleashed. Um, when he, he starts his solo tour, um, in, in October. Yeah, definitely. So, um, obviously, one of your big massive events was the the Madrid Fan Park, which obviously fifty thousand people, obviously attended on the stage. Just had having a scream like, like previous podcast I had one back back a couple of weeks ago. I um Jamie Webster, um Kieran Molyneux. So, I, I was I was that was it stressful to organise. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know. First and foremost, kudos to the club here. And there's plenty and plenty of stuff that we've done over the years where you know it's it's just one hundred percent us. Um, and then there's big stuff that we've done, and you know, in, including stuff we did in Qatar, which has had no involvement to the club whatsoever. Um, but for both Madrid and Kiev, you know, we were working with the club um on 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 this. Um, so they obviously bear most of the accountability and responsibility, and and so. But it still was dead, dead stressful for me. Um, I had both Kiev and Madrid. I just had a knot in my stomach with a whole, whole of a month, you know, building up to them. Um, Madrid was obviously going to be huge. Um, after the success of Kiev, which was you no, know, it was fairly spontaneous in a way, you know, in that like it was quite a small stage and quite a small area, and then all of a sudden it seemed like. I don't know, half the city had turned up. Um, we, we always knew from the off that Madrid was going to be um, a, a, absolutely huge. Um, the, the way the, the way it tends to work is um, when, when you, you get to the final, UEFA then basically give you the keys you know, to um, all the logistical type of stuff. So Liverpool FC get told, you know, your team A and you get, you know, this hotel you know, probably this landing slot at the airport, this road plan to get you to the stadium, all that kind of thing, um, and your team B, and then you get this, this and this. And one of the things you, you also get is the area for your fans to congregate in. Yeah. Um, so, so so we were given that um, for Plaza, Philippe, the, 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 the second, um, and straight away, um, Tom Cassidy, who's the, who's the main leader of the club on this, um, he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant lad and, and someone, you know, 
I get on personally very, very well with, but also Jamie and the wider boss crew and stuff, you know, he's absolutely aligned with, with, with what we do. You know, he full out pretty much straight away to, to suss it out. And that's where you got those iconic stones in front of you. I remember him WhatsApping me like these pictures and telling me the plans and stuff. Um, in, in, in terms of like, you know, the actual organisation, whereas for most gigs, you know, we do need to worry about the logistics, the stage, this, that, and, all, and everything else. For this, you know, it's like UEFA and Liverpool work together on, you know, this is the company that's building the stage and the sound, sound system, all that kind of thing. And there, there is local people, uh, you know, uh, lots of people on Merseyside, people on Madrid that work together and stuff, you know, to bring it all together. So didn't really have stresses around that as such. But for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I just want things to be, to be right. Yeah, um, and you know, there's so many conversations that go on. There's so many little insights you get into things. You know, that could be good, could be bad. The whole thing about sort of appearing behind the the, the, the the curtain, and then you sort of get brought into the loop on certain conversations and stuff. And you know, you get an- anxious, and you, as I say, you just want it to be to be spot on. Not not just for boss here, but you know, for not more so than Jamie and the other performers, but also like our wider fan base you know I, I still really believe that like, I'd hate to do anything that people don't like or wouldn't want um, so, you, so you've got to get it all right um, and, and I think with Madrid you know, the people that had done it at the club really did they got it right in, in terms of you know the people that, 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 um, that were involved the whole process of it it, it was really good um, I mean that, that, that said you know there was never nerve-wracking elements on the day I remember the police shutting it down at one point Saying there's too many people there, um, you know, I, I remember sort of voicing my opinion that there'll be a riot if you if you cut it off now. And the people at the club, you know, were trying to, you know, people could talk Spanish were trying to reason the police all that kind of thing. But you know, in the end, it was all right, and um, and, and obviously it was a great day. Yeah, definitely. Um, was Kia that was Shevchenko Park, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. Park. That was well, obviously you said the stage were big, but then Madrid was big and that must have been stressful, obviously, with the police shutting it down. So in the end, how did you actually how did you feel at the end of it when the event did actually go to plan and um at the end of the day Liverpool won the Champions League? Oh, absolutely incredible. You know, it, it really was an amazing day. Um I always get this like sense of relief. Um I it's normally my relief normally comes when Jamie plays his first song, because that's when you sort of know that's like the end point of of, of the event, the gig, and, and all those worries you've got about, you know, whether it's, I don't know, people turning up or, you know, the, the right equipment, you know, the sound system working, everything like that, you know, that goes out once he plays that first, the, the first song. But I think with Madrid, because of everything that was going on, um, it was only afterwards, it was only this moment when we got back into... Um, there was like a sports centre behind, and we sort of got back in there and was like, "There we go, you know, job done." Um, and as I say, you know, I, I personally don't want to take any credit or anything because, um, first and foremost, it's it's the performers that played on the day. You know, Jamie Webster, um, John Power, Kieran Molyneux, Tim O'Tierney, Ben Bear, um, all the others involved, like like to the Anfield rap, Colin Murray, John Barnes, all that kind of thing. You know, they're the ones to take credit for giving people. A really good time, little Harry Mack, the DJ. Um, they're the ones who give people the good time, and then do from a logistical point of view, the, the people at, at Liverpool and people on the ground in Madrid and stuff, 
they're the ones that really had to pull it off. Um, so I wouldn't want to take any credit whatsoever away from them. But I did have this massive relief when we we got um, into the sports centre behind the, the stage afterwards. And it was like, yeah, job done. Do you know, nice one. Now we can go and win the European Cup. I've never, ever, ever been more confident going into a game than I have for, for, for that match. I haven't witnessed... You said 50,000 fans before, but I'll say I reckon it was more 60, 70, 80,000, you know, whatever number we want to pick out of our heads, you know, there was that many people there. And I've witnessed those tens of thousands of people in front of the stage. Um, I, you know, I've never been more confident. We could not lose that game with that power of the fans behind it. And I think that that, that came across in the ground. Uh, the brilliant work that the Spine Cop 1906 lads did in, in mm. getting all the flags over and making our end so authentic and so representative of us as a fan base compared to the Spurs end, which, you know, was a load of plastic flags or whatever and fellas and kits. You know, I've never been that confident as that game kicked off that we were going to win it. Yeah, I've just scored the first minute and then last minute, which, which won it, which was yeah. probably the best. Well, the first ever... The proper Liverpool game that I've ever seen that we've ever that we won a trophy, which is probably the best feeling I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Mental. Um. So how much did COVID disrupt, disrupt the events and disrupted? I was I was it for boss boss nights. Absolutely, absolutely awful, terrible. So we um we just done Qatar in December 2019, where we organised the fan park. Essentially, or you know, we 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 were part of a tender bid with, with a firm in in Qatar and Doha, um, to run the, the fan park essentially on behalf of UEFA, on behalf of FIFA rather, and um, this really exotic sounding body called the Supreme Committee that that represents the Qatari royal family. So we were given that that that, that job and and that responsibility. And that was one, as I said before, where the club weren't involved whatsoever. Um, so, so we'd had the high of that, you know, and, and in terms of, like, myself working on projects across different businesses and stuff, I'd say that was probably the highlight of, of my work and life, you know. The, 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 that, the, that project, that was definitely another one where I had um, a, a sense of anxiety in my stomach um, for weeks and weeks and weeks building up to it. But when it happened, I'm so proud of what we of what we, we all achieved over there. The, the the team that we took over and the people we worked with. It was a brilliant, brilliant time. So we had the high of that. We we then did um a couple of early events that year in in, in Liverpool, like kids events. And then we uh, went over to India. This is March twenty twenty, just before the pandemic um hit. Um, we were out in India, um, in, in New Delhi, doing an event with the club. So this one was in conjunction with the club. And it was dead good. It was really successful. And we were just about to announce Boss Tokyo when um, COVID arrived. Um, and everything went on hold. So all these plans that we had for um, winning the league, taking you know, the, the, the gig, the, the, the show around the world, um, came to an abrupt halt. Um, maybe in years to come I'll look back and say it wasn't such a bad thing because the pace that we were operating at I'm not sure it was sustainable like you know, talking about me as an individual now um, I I felt that like 
you know, there was a, a lot of pressure, there was a lot of plates spinning, and it, you know, would, would that have been sustainable? Could I, could I, could I have enjoyed winning the league with everything going on? Like, I'm just not not sure. Um, and maybe you know, people involved felt feel the same, and the artists that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it it really, really did. Um, sorry, one sec, Joe. Sorry, my phone started going then. And then it started going into my Bluetooth headphones. So, um, yeah, so, um, so, yeah, you know, it, it, it caused us to get off the, the treadmill to step off the hamster wheel. Um, so it, it really, really was unfortunate, but maybe that's a silver line and, uh, you know, it definitely eased the pressure. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Obviously, there's a boss night event coming up, and I don't know how old you have to be to go, but I would love to come to one definitely in the future. Yeah. Um, so how excited are you to finally be getting back into the events? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's really exciting. It's exciting, you know, to, to, to be able to bring people back together and stuff and, and enjoy this. You know, it'll be exciting for the artists to get up and after 18 months more or less in, in, in the homes to not be able to perform. It'll be great for them to, to, to get back out there. Um, in terms of the events, by the way, and, and ages, so we've got two events at the end of August, the Bank Holiday weekend. The Saturday after the Chelsea game, um, we, we, we've got uh, what we call like a normal boss event. That's 18 and over. It's at the Olympia. Um, and, you know, if it is it is an adult thing. Um, the next day, we've got what we call boss kids, which is for under-18s. Um, the, the, these are really good events, and you know, I think it's kind of event that, um, you know, whether you're 14, 15, 16, or you're four, five, or six, you can go to and like still still enjoy it. It's still the same conscious experience, but it's just you know, it's just the license permits for, for, for kids to be in there, yeah, definitely. Um, so I really, really hope the best for the events, and uh, that's the podcast on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. and Big thank you, Danny, for uh, taking your time out your day to speak to me today. Of course, mate. No problem whatsoever. Good luck with the podcast. You know, it's really good what you're doing, and um, it, it's really good to see young people like yourself actually, you know, getting out there and doing this kind of thing. It was the sort of ethos that I had in my mind when Boss first started. But actually, you know, it's important for young people to do stuff. When we ended Boss Mag in 2016. Um, I, I think I wrote at the time like an editorial saying like you know, it's time for the next group of young lads or girls who, who go to the game or do, or do stuff in, in, in the city to actually get out there and start writing about and recording it. So it's really good to see yourself doing this and I wish you the best of luck. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, mate. All thank right. You. Bye. See you now. Bye.